Hello, everybody. Let's pause, we'll pray, and we'll get started tonight. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to come in your son Jesus' name to look at the scriptures and the things that are here for us. May our hearts be open, may our understanding be enlightened by your spirit, and may we lean into the things that you are saying. Father, may we engage in a conversation with you and allow the scriptures to indeed be alive and powerful in our lives. And so we thank you for an opportunity to do so. We ask your blessing here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Romans chapter 13. So if you want to turn into Romans chapter 13, remember we have kind of been with Paul in this journey and we've gone up this road and chapter 11 is kind of the climax of some of the points he was making regarding God's faithfulness being fulfilled to Israel through Jesus. And now chapter 12 down is still dealing with some very important things, but they're not so intense as far as uh, theological depth, although there's a lot of heavy things that we're still going to be talking about. And it kind of jumps right in here in chapter 13, and let's read verses 1 through 7. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is God, except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. As we look at this passage, and we're going to go through the rest of the chapter, but this one portion, as Paul starts talking about authorities, we, we need to understand what is his point here. And, and to understand his point, just as we've been talking about through all of Romans, it's necessary to recognize what he is talking about, what he has been talking about, who he is talking to, and a little bit of why he is saying the things that he is saying. There are some people who say that Paul has written this because Claudius, who was the emperor, who was just very tyrannical and just evil, uh, was a bad person, but now Nero has come into place, and Nero, when he started, was okay, and so Paul's saying, yeah, I think this guy is okay, so go ahead and listen to him. But I doubt that Paul is that naive, and I don't think that that is fully what is 
in his mind when he is writing these things. But remember that in 49 AD, Claudius kicked out the Jews because of rioting and rebellion against the Roman government. And as he has done this, it has caused a backlash. The backlash has spread even into other religious communities and also into the Christian church. In 54 AD, when Claudius died, or 53 AD when Claudius died, 53 or 54, the Jews came back because the edict was only as good as the emperor who was there putting it into effect. As soon as he died, the Jews came back into the capital, and with them also came some of the attitudes, some of the rebellion, some of those people who were against Roman rule of their religious beliefs, against, bless you, against those things that you know would say that Caesar is Lord, and now you have Christians who are saying, no, Jesus is Lord, and we're against this Roman rule. And so you have a lot of tension, and Paul is concerned that the church is going to get a bad name in a big way. And he's saying that you must be good, responsible members of whatever community you are in. And he's trying to get them to understand that this is something that is required of them. As the Jews would oftentimes retreat from a pagan rule. They would go into their own region, which is known as a ghetto. That's basically what the word ghetto means. It's a, a area that is confined to a certain ethnicity or a certain, um, you know, economically diverse people. You know, so there was ghettos back then. It's not just like in L.A. there's a ghetto. The ghetto was a group of people. It actually began in Venice with the Jewish people. That's where the term ghetto came to be. And so what the ghetto was was these people, and this time religious people, the Jews, that would move away from the city life to establish their own rule because they didn't want the Roman rule over them. And so we don't want this rule. We're going to separate so we don't have to deal with those people. And the same thing began to happen with those who are followers of Christ. We don't want to be subject to these pagan rulers. And so we are going to separate ourselves, find our own little corner of the world, and start living all by ourselves here. And Paul is addressing this because... That is not what the followers of Jesus are supposed to be. They are not to be exclusive, separating themselves from the rest of the world. What they are supposed to be is on mission to the rest of the world. It is the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations to everyone, Jews, Gentiles, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to do whatever things I have told you to do. That's what Jesus said. So he doesn't want them to escape this. He doesn't want them to exclude themselves. Well, we don't follow Rome. We follow our God, and that's how it is. What he's trying to do is get them to understand that there is a way to practice your faith faithfully and still be involved even with 
a pagan rule. And there is a strong tradition of this in Jewish history. Can you think of a couple of people who are famous in the scripture who did just that? Who were involved in pagan societies but maintained their religious faithfulness? Solomon? Solomon wasn't really excluded to a pagan religion, but there are a few. Daniel? Remember, Daniel was taken by the Babylonians, and he would not defile himself with the king's food and said, let me eat just the food that is common for our people. And so he didn't subject himself, but he was so good at what he did that he was actually placed in a position of trust and responsibility. Who else? And Joseph. Joseph in Egypt. Same thing. Okay, he still held his beliefs, and through him, his family was saved, which is the whole Jewish people, really, and the Messiah came through them, but he was in Egypt. And so Paul is wanting these followers of Jesus to recognize responsibility. Paul knows that there is no king but Jesus, there is no Lord, that Caesar is not Lord, but Paul wants to make sure that the positions that the followers of Jesus take don't stop them from communicating the gospel message and they don't start making a bad name for Jesus. And they don't end up like the Jews before them that got kicked out of Rome. Now the Christians, they're causing problems. Get them out of here. And so he is trying to deal with this in a way that is going to be responsible. There's really two positions that we look at when it comes to our dealing with government. One is a maximalist position, which says we must obey nobody but God, and we'll see if the laws are in agreement with what the Bible says or what the Holy Spirit tells me. And if they are, then I'll listen to them, but otherwise I don't listen to the government at all. I just wait to hear what God tells me, and that's what I do. The other is a minimalist position. I will go along with society until I'm convinced that God wants me to do something different against it. But really what Paul is trying to do is give us an understanding that is practical, useful, and wise. And so it's important that we recognize that He's dealing with some things, and he's dealing with it in a specific way. Notice that he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And that word is plural, the authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. So first he talks about two authorities, and then he talks about one authority. And then he goes back, the authorities that exist have been established by God. What do we mean by authorities? Is it just every government has been established by God? So if ISIS is an authority, is that established by God? If there is a government that is doing things that are violent, hurtful to people, is that established by God? Is that what he is saying? Or is he bringing God into it to paint a picture that there is something that is underneath that we are loyal to. 
See, a lot of governments have used this passage of Scripture to say that if you're against or rebel against anything we do, then you're not being biblical. South African government did that with apartheid. And that government was a Dutch Reformed government. To be a part of the government, you had to belong to the Dutch Reformed Church. And basically, you had a few people making the rules for millions, and if they obeyed differently or they resisted the rules that you made, they said, you're not being biblical, you're being against what God says, and so they would try and suppress that. But that's not really what's being said here as he goes on to talk about these authorities. It's not just about whatever government is there. Because what do you do when a government is doing something wrong? What about those Christians who wanted the abolition of slavery? Were they going against the government? What about Paul in the book of Acts or the other disciples when the Jewish leaders came up to them and said, stop this teaching in the name of Jesus? Were they going against the authority? Is that what Paul meant here? And it seems obvious in light of Paul himself and his life that that isn't what was meant. And in light of what has just taken place historically that we just mentioned, we see that Paul is trying to present God's message and put the best foot forward so that that message can move forward. So he's not saying, yeah, whatever the Roman government says is legit. That's not what he's saying, because he, as he goes on and he says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God. Rebels against what? Just the authority or what that authority stands for? Because as he goes on, the rulers hold no terror for those who do right. What if they are doing wrong? The authorities. Do you then have responsibility to do right? And let's face it, you are not going to get an in-depth account of how to deal with governing authorities in seven verses. Okay, can we all agree that that's not going to happen? With every type of government that has been on this planet, it's going to be summed up in seven verses. This is how you deal with all governmental authorities. Can we agree that's not the intention of this? But in light of the historical background that we know and that we've talked about, we can see what Paul is dealing with in the tension that is there with the Jews and the tension that is there between the Jews and the Gentiles, between the Jews and the Roman government, and now between those who are followers of Jesus and the Roman government. And the tension was one coming out of being riotous and being kicked out of the capital to now being allowed back in. And imagine all those Romans who were saying, you know, we had no more riots when they weren't here, but now they're coming back. What's going to happen? And now these people who call themselves the way and followers of Christ, what are they going to do? There's a lot of tension, wondering what's going to happen when these people come in. And so Paul is saying, listen, you have to live in responsible ways with the people that you are surrounded by. You have to recognize those things. 
Paul tells us in Colossians 1.15 that everything was made that was made in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ, that there is no dualism of authorities. There's not, well, God's authority and then there's man's authority. Everything falls under the authority that God has established. And that's the authority that we have to submit to. It's not, well, you know, I know that the government is, you know, doing these things that are bad. You know, they're, they're killing these people because, you know, of racial problems. You know, they're doing the ethnic cleansing that has happened throughout the world. But that's the government's doing that, so we're okay with that. If you were in Nazi Germany and they were taking Jews to the concentration camps, do you submit to the authority? Do you say, well, that's what the government's doing. Who am I to disagree? Paul said, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not at all what he's saying here. And and so there is one authority, that's Christ, but that's what he's talking about, is he's talking about the two authorities and he's talking about submitting to the one that is right. The church is not supposed to be an independent, isolated society. It is to be the new humanity. The church is supposed to be responsibly involved in the society that it's a part of, not repressing people, not in being a part of something that is wrong with the society. They're supposed to be what is right with the society. So they're supposed to be promoting something that is helpful, that is good, that is holistic, if you will. And so if the government is promoting slavery, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm against slavery and I want to set people free. If the government is for ethnic cleansing and we're going to kill all the people who are part of this tribe or a part of this nationality, well, that is against the will of God and it's okay to say, no, I'm against that. I'm not going to be a part of that. You're not violating the scripture because there is a context to this historically and then there is the inclusion of what is right and not what is wrong. And so when he says, you know, for the one in authority, verse 4, is God's servant for your good. Okay, for your good means something. It's not just whatever they do, it's good. If it's for your good, it has context. And he goes on and he says that, but if you do wrong, be afraid. Do wrong is contextual. That means doing something that is against what? What authority? Just their authority? nationalistically or the authority, right? And so, yeah, if you're going to go steal, guess what? You should be afraid. Why? Because it's wrong. And you might get caught and the authorities are there to stop you. Why? Because it is wrong. You're not doing what is right. And so there's contextual understanding that is there. They are, not, they are God's servants, agents of wrath to being punishment on what? The wrongdoer. Again, context, not just anybody on the wrongdoer. What happens if the government starts bringing punishment on those who are doing good? Do we submit to the government's authority when they're doing that? You have responsibility to make the right choice always. doesn't matter what government it is. Okay, And this becomes something that's a little uneasy. It's it's easy to just say, well, government's right. You have to listen to the government. Yeah, I don't have to make any decisions. And then what happens when the government makes wrong decisions? Do I have to support it? 
What happens if the nation of Israel makes a wrong decision? Do I support them because they're Israel? Or do I still have to make a decision based on what is right and God's authority? And it requires us to be engaged and involved. Now, what are the problems that would come up? What are the things that would make us have to stand up against something? I mean, right now, many of you have heard it. The mayor in Texas is subpoenaing all the pastors of the church for their notes to see if they've said anything that's against the law on, you know, uh, discriminating against uh, gender, you know. And it's like, oh, no, oh, no. You know what? They could have my notes. Um, I don't have many. You know, it wouldn't say much. That's, you know, is it a violation against some people's rights? Yeah. Is it something that I'm going to make a huge deal about? No, because it's not going to affect my ability to communicate the gospel. It's not going to stop me from doing what is right. Am I in agreement with it? No, I think it's foolish, and I think it was done intentionally to cause commotion, especially in Texas. You think all these pastors in Texas are going to say, yes, here. It's meant to cause some kind of, you know, uproar, to get focus on certain things. And so we just need now to think, okay, what would happen, Sam, if they did that here? I really, it's not going to affect me much at all. It's not something that is going to have, you can listen to my studies online, they're all there, because my notes, I'll give you a couple of scriptures, and that's about it, I don't have notes, and it's not something I'm going to make a deal about, I'm going to continue doing what I do, it's not causing a problem to me so much that I feel necessary to jump in and say, well, this is going to do, you know, evil in our world, I, I don't think that's the case that Paul is dealing with here. So if they subpoenaed me, I, I, like I said, I don't have any notes. So here's my notes. You can, it's highlighted right here. There, there you go. Um, you know, th- those things aren't having effect, and I don't think that was what Paul was talking about. Now, if the government goes on and it starts to become more intrusive in actually doing things that we think of as being wrong, well, then I have a responsibility to do what is right. Okay, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not because of possible punishment, but of a matter of conscience. Again, he's talking about a right and a wrong, a matter of conscience, conscience to what? To what is right? Against who? Against the one who decides what is right, the authority. Again, Paul isn't compromising, say, Rome is good, you know, and you have to listen to everything that Nero says. That's not his point. And so many times we've taken this scripture to think it means how we deal with all of governments. Paul is dealing with a specific situation and he's trying to engage the church, this new humanity, to affect the society that it's in and to affect it for what is good. He goes on and he says, that's why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Does it mean you can't be against taxes and don't like them? No. But can you start a revolt against taxes just because of that? He's saying don't. There's another passage in Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And he says, 
this is not just for those who are in the, you know, what we're doing isn't just for the people of the church. He says in chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands. Now, mind your own business mean, doesn't mean keep out of my business. It means take care of what you're doing. Because mind your own business means something different to us. Like, hey, so what are you going to eat today? Mind your own business. You know, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying if you have a business... Take care of it. Mind it like you mind the store. Okay, so it's not like mind your own business. But you're supposed to take care of your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. You see, if you're a person who is constantly wanting handouts, if you're constantly needing help from people, assistance from somebody, you're constantly needing help me, help me, help me, you're not a good representative of Christ. People are going to look at you and when you say, yeah, you know, I want to tell you the good news about Jesus, it's like, you know what, you're kind of depending on other people and now you want me to depend on the God who you're depending on, but you're still depending on me? And so he's saying, take care of your own business, mind those things, work with your hands so that you can provide for yourself. That way, you have a good reputation where you live. And now when you communicate, you have respect. Respect is an important thing in the eyes of people. You know how it is. If you know someone who's got dirt, you know, you've got someone who you talk to and you know that they've got whatever, they've got a, a drug addiction. And then they come up to you and start telling you, you know, Ben, you better stop listening to that music you're listening to. That's just not going to, you know, do right with you and God. It's like, dude, you know, take the log out of your own eye, right? Why? Because you don't have my respect. You're not living the life you should and you're going to tell me how to live the life I should. And so Paul is telling them, pay your taxes, do these things, be people of responsibility so that you can be useful and a useful voice by God to those people. And that's really underlining what he is trying to say here. He's not giving a full statement of church and state in seven verses. Paul is not addressing all that entails interaction with the government everywhere, but he's addressing the poor reputation that the Jews and early Christians had, had developed there in Rome and telling them you need to make sure that this doesn't hinder who you are and what your job is to do. Any questions on those verses? No. You know, we are in a place where there is a lot more distrust of government. We don't like the way the government does a lot of what they do. It doesn't say you have to like it. But don't let your dislike hinder what is most important. What's more important? Your tax rate or your ability to communicate the gospel. I'm not saying taxes aren't important. I don't like paying them. But what's more important? And if you were to do something that would 
if you were to do something in rebellion against what you reject and it would hinder your voice, then you need to think, what is this going to do? Now, our society is different than Rome's. The church is in a different place today than the church at Rome was. And so we have to take those points that he's trying to make and apply them to our life today. Because you can protest. It's legal. You can go to Congress or write your congressman. It's not against the law. You can have, you know, um, marches or demonstrations against something within your legal rights. You can. It's nothing wrong with those things, but you need to be thinking what is going to further the gospel message. You know, years ago, there was Proposition 187 dealing with same-sex marriage. And the churches were in a big part responsible for that whole proposition. And before that, Jerry Farwell, I don't know if you guys remember him, was part of what was called the moral majority. How many remember the moral majority? Looking back, do you think the moral majority created things better for the cause of Christ or has hindered the cause of Christ? By wanting to do things in a way that were right, I mean, some of the things they stood for were good, but the way they did it, did it further the cause of Christ or did it hinder the cause of Christ? Proposition 187, did that further the cause of Christ or did it hinder the communication of the cause of Christ to those who disagreed with that way of thinking? You see, I don't have to agree with same-sex marriage, but I don't want to hinder my communication to those who do. In other words, I don't want the way I vote to stop my conversation. I don't need them to know the way I vote, but I don't want to protest and hinder what is more important, which is the people. The moral majority, when they were making their stands against all these things, well, some of those things were good things, but the way they presented it, you think you're not going to get a backlash? You think if you put a proposition that says we don't want this way of living, that other people aren't going to put their propositions and saying we don't want your way of living? You've got to expect that. You just entered into the arena. And so if you push, you've got to expect people to push back. So we need to be careful where we push, how we push and what we are trying to communicate doesn't get lost in that arena. So there's something more important. There's an authority, there's a right, and there's a wrong, and there's a purpose that we're supposed to be for. Because who cares if you force people to do what you want and you lose their souls? Great, you got your proposition. Now it's illegal to do what you don't like. What has happened to the cause of Christ? Has it furthered or has it been hindered? Now it's different today than it was with Rome, but those are the questions we need to think about. That's what I think about. Okay, our community of faith is divided. Not everyone here is Republican, not everyone here is Democratic. 
I don't know. It was about, I was thinking about 60-40 last time. It, I don't know if it's exactly that or not. So what are you going to do with those people who are on the other side of the fence? What's going to be the tension? You can disagree. Nothing wrong with disagreeing. I think government should be run this way. Great. I think it should be run this way. Great. What about the gospel? Is that going to be stopped because of your position? Are people going to be limited because of where you are politically? And Paul is dealing with that to an extent, again, in a different way. But it's something we have to be responsible for. So, but if there's no questions, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding. Why would he say that right after he talked about government? Why is he talking about debt? It's connected. Okay, he just talked about paying taxes. He's just talked about doing what is right. And now he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. You see, the idea is if you actually care for someone, you're going to do what is going to be beneficial for them. And so if someone loves you, they're not going to owe you. They're not going to be taking from you. They're going to be giving something to you. And and the idea of don't be a sponge. Don't just keep taking from people. That's not how you show love. It doesn't mean you can't get help. But are you expecting help? And do you use people? That's what he's talking about, and it's connected to their reputation in society. I don't want the governments, I don't want the people in authority to see you as people who are using people, people who are users. Instead, all you need is to have this love for another. Again, like he said in Thessalonians, work with your hands, mind to your business, take care of those things so you have a good reputation. Exactly what he's talking about here. The commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Whatever other commands there may have be are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This new humanity is to be known because they are benefiting all of society. What was the purpose of the nation Israel? What was God's intention? Through them, all the nations would what? Be blessed. Now that responsibility comes into the new humanity. Through us, the world is to be blessed. How will the world be blessed if we are known for abusing people, using people, taking advantage for our own gain? Love doesn't do that. And so all these commands, don't steal, don't covet, what other commands there are, love eliminates them. You see, if I love someone, I'm not going to commit adultery against them. If I love someone, I'm not going to steal from them. If I love someone, I'm not going to covet. I'm actually going to be thankful for the things they have. I'll be thinking, man, I'm so glad you're doing well. That's so exciting. Or do you look at people and say, it's not fair. You have more than enough. You should be giving to me whoa, what happened to the love? Love cares. Covet 
wants. And so he's talking about these areas of the heart and he says, love does no harm, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. In this new humanity, we are to be the evidence of God's love. We are to be how God shows up. And notice that he says this new humanity will be known as the people who fulfill the law even though they didn't possess it ancestrally. In other words, we are the ones who are doing what the law has culminated, which is love, even though we are not born of Jewish descent. We are fulfilling the intention of the law. And so we see that love is the fulfillment of the law and it is the responsibility to those who are followers of Jesus. It is a responsibility to love not just those who are inside our community, but this is connected to those who are around us. When he says don't have no debt remaining outstanding, it's not just to those who are fellow believers. Don't owe to those people who aren't believers. And you guys probably know people like that. I know there are businesses that call themselves Christian who don't deal with themselves like Christians, who are dishonest. And what does that do? It makes you think, man, if that's Christian, wow, man, I don't want any part of that. It gives a bad name to Jesus. And so we are to have this awareness of those that are on the outside as well and love them as well. Any questions on these verses? Well, I mean, the government is supposed to be, I guess, under the authorities that they establish, but even above the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, there is the authority that God has implemented. And, and so, you know, it's, yeah, government can have their own authorities that they're supposed to be subject to. You know, the government is supposed to be recognition to the Constitution, um, but the Christian is ultimately represented to God, and the Constitution is below that, you know, so... No, it doesn't have to be a person. It's a power that controls. I mean, he's talking about more than just one type of authority, and that's why he uses the plural. Those who yield the sword are authorities. Policemen are authority. Okay, so those people all have authority. And, you know, the idea of the cops aren't to be a fret for those who are doing good. It's for those who are doing wrong. If you're stealing, then you got to watch out for the cops, you know. Why? Because they're going to catch you. Are there bad cops? Of course there are bad cops. You know, and so it doesn't apply to all people who carry the sword, all people who have a badge. There's an authority that they have to recognize. And so there is a good and there is a wrong that he keeps in the equation. Again, he's not making a blanket statement about all authority or governments. He's really talking about where they are at and how to promote the gospel in their society. And we need to think the same way. I think we get so caught up on politics sometimes that we lose sight of the message of Christ and are more politically motivated than gospel motivated. We care more about our political position or even our freedom sometimes than we do the gospel, you know, and I value our freedoms, but freedom isn't what I'm living for. It's the gospel, which promotes the real freedom. You know, Paul is a slave at this time. Well, actually he wasn't, he was a Roman citizen, but most Jews were slaves at this time. And he wasn't saying, you know, you need to get out of that slavery. It was different then than it is today. 
I forget the percentage of slaves. There was like 80% or something of the people in Rome were slaves. You know, it's incredible. Jesus was born a slave, yet he sets men free. How's that work? You know, and so this isn't just a easy, here's how it works thing. It's meant to cause us to think and we have to be responsible with the conscience. Who are we responding to? The authority, God's authority. All authorities are connected to God's authority. And that's how we respond with our conscience. So if the governing authority is against the godly authority, we respond with our conscience the way we should. How that looks depends on where you're at, what you're dealing with. Again, it's not always the same. Verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, he says, in light of dealing with the government, in light of loving one another, do this, understanding the present time. And what does he mean by the present time? He means the time that he's living in, okay? Did it mean that Jesus was coming back at that present time? It doesn't seem to mean that. I mean, that happened a long time ago, and there's no reason to believe that Paul thought it meant that. There was an awareness at the time of Christ and in the writings that there was going to be judgment on Jerusalem. Jesus talked about that in Mark 13 and Matthew 24, and he said that that generation would not pass, that those things were going to come down to them. And we talked about that when we went through Matthew, how there was in 73 AD, the Roman government came in and just wiped out Jerusalem and millions of Jews were killed or displaced. Do you think that just happened do you think there wasn't tension and awareness of something coming down, especially as we see riots taking place in Rome? Do you think people weren't aware of Rome posturing back? And so do you think Paul is not aware of the tension that is coming, that is there and present? The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Our salvation, what is our salvation? Our time of being present before God. We've talked about in chapter 8 how we still wait for the redemption of our bodies, right? That, that our bodies aren't yet redeemed, all of us are going to die, and so that's how we live in this state, waiting for the salvation of fulfillment when we 
put away this corruption and take on the incorruption. Salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. That could be our going before God. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now, we're not doing this just because Jesus is coming back. We're doing this because our lives have purpose. We're doing this because we are to have an intention with our lives and are living for something. And so our salvation is nearer. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And this has a recollection of Ephesians chapter 6, doesn't it? Put on the armor of God. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing. And he goes through the list, drunkenness, sexual immorality, debauchery, dissension, and jealousy. This is tied in to all the things he's talked about previously. Your dealings with the government. You're supposed to be a person of responsibility, a person who takes care of yourself, a person who pays for themselves taxes and what's necessary. You're supposed to be a person who helps other people, loves other people, and doesn't use other people. You're not supposed to be a person who walks in this way of darkness, carousing, drunkenness. Why not? Because what image is that? What witness are you? What voice will you have in this new humanity to a lost world if you're living in this darkness. And so once again, we see character matters. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Don't think about just how to live for yourself. You're supposed to think of how you can be a benefit to the world around you. And if you're in odds with the government, guess what? You're going to get kicked out and you're going to lose the opportunity. It happened not too long ago. Paul is recollecting. It wasn't long ago the Jews were kicked out. They just came back. Don't go into the same direction that they did before. Don't be people who look are looked on as being all these Christians. They're using people. They're always borrowing, they're never paying their taxes, they're against government, they're against Rome, they just say, well, we have our Lord Jesus, and so they're fighting us every step of the way. There's, he's trying to deal with the image that they are revealing to the world around them, and it's important. Jesus predicted the fall of Jerusalem, and the early church was aware of this. It was tension in society. Christians now found themselves living in this place. We are from this Jewish tradition. Jesus was the completed, perfect fulfillment of that Israelite. We, this is our connection. What is the government going to think about us and how we are connected to them. What are their views going to be? We need to make sure that their view of us is a proper one. I think that's true today with a lot of the things that we hear people say. I forget the name of the church. 
I forget if it's in Alabama or Mississippi, the guys who say that, you know, um, the reason, you know, yeah, that, that Brones Borough or something, Baptist Church, you know, that says, you know, they'll protest, go protest, you know, the grave sites of veterans saying this is judgment because of, you know, our condoning homosexuality and things like that. And what what name or what image have they given to the name of Jesus, those people? It's hateful. And there's only like 30 people in the whole church. I mean, it's like terrible. You know, it's a small group, but they've got this voice because it's an awful voice. And we have to make sure our voice isn't connected to theirs. And there's a lot of voices like that. And I need to make sure that my voice is connected to his voice and not all these other voices. And Paul is telling them, you need to make sure that your identity isn't connected to these identities that have been problematic in the past. Instead, you're to be people who are a benefit to the society that they're living in because your character goes a long way. And so it's important that we be people who are responsible because that is connected to our voice. And so we need to recognize that. Any questions on that or anything else in this chapter? It was a short chapter. That's all I got. I'm not going into the next one. No? Okay. Let's pray. Father, it would be so much easier if things were just cut and dry and black and white. If you just told us this is what we need to do and this is what we need to make sure we don't do. And you've listed that in some extent. You've told us how we are to live. But then there are these areas in how we are supposed to relate to government and to authorities, Lord, that leave us with this conscience decision. And Lord, you have left that intentionally. That is there so that we would wrestle with what we are to do, that we would wrestle with our own conscience and what you would have us to do and how you would have us to reach the people in the world around us. Paul was trying to communicate to the church in Rome that they were in the capital. How can you be effective where you live? We need to be aware of the same thing. We need to be aware of the day that we live in, the society we find ourselves in, the community that we belong to, and how can we conduct ourselves in a way that will help our voice be heard more accurately, help your voice be heard and your life seen in us. And as he centralized this passage, Lord, it really is about love, that we would fulfill all of what you want if we would love. And so, God, may that be our characteristic. May that be the motive for everything that we do. May it be what we draw from and what we give to others and help us to make decisions based on love and not based on want or desire or what we feel we deserve, rights. All those things need to be under submission of love for those around us. And Lord, if we'd be willing to give up our freedom, 
like Paul did so that he could further the gospel. Lord, that would be a loving thing to do, but it's not for everybody, but it was for Paul. Lord, may we make those tough decisions with you. May we wrestle, where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? And may love be seen in whatever we do. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.